is up? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like Ozark's Food Harvest here in my local town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. Follow me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. This week, we're joined from San Francisco by Dr. Yishan Zhu of Mind Body Garden Psychology, which can be found online at mindbodygarden.com. Her practice is based out of San Francisco and offers multilingual options for her clients in both English and Mandarin. Yishan is a bright and lovely person who is able to put complicated ideas into simple language. We discuss some of the stigmas and misconceptions around therapy in general, along with the benefits that everyone can enjoy from psychology. We also dive into Yishan's areas of focus in her practice, which are anxiety and insomnia. Yishan offers great insight into the realm of sleep and shatters many myths that people commonly hold. I was very humbled to have Yishan on the show, and I think you'll enjoy our conversation. So let's get over to it. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Yishan, how are you doing tonight? Hi, Walker. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. Um, so, Yishan, you are a uh, a psychologist, um, and you have uh, you work at a, a practice, but then you guys also have a website. So, the practice is um, Mind Body Garden uh, psych- Psychology, and then mindbodygarden.com is the website. Is that right? Yes, yes. I I build a group practice uh, in San Francisco Bay Area, and Mind Body Garden is our name. Gotcha. So yeah, I was looking. I was looking at your site, and it looked like there were there were several different uh, doctors, I guess, that, that work there with you. How many How many different folks do you have? Yeah, we are growing very fast. I think we have more than ten therapists now. Wow. Some of them are PhD level psychologists. Some of them are master level therapists. Uh, we all do psychotherapy. We also have two psychiatrists who can do medication management right now. So most of us are Mandarin English bilingual. Oh, okay. I see. And so, um, so yeah, I guess that's another question is, are you originally from the United States or did you move here at some point or? Yeah, I actually, um, I'm an immigrant. I would say I grew up in China. I went to undergraduate college in China. So I came to America for graduate school, uh, just because I, when I was in undergraduate, actually it's a long journey. I first entered chemistry as a major, and then mm. I realized I really don't like it. I always <laughs> have a passion for, you know, healthcare. And uh, um, I always find psychology amazing. But back then in China, I don't know whether you are aware, but back then, even like 10 or 20 years ago, psychology is not something very developed in mm. most Asian countries, especially in China. So when I try to choose that major, nobody knows what psychology is. Even in the college, that was the first or second year, they have this major called psychology. But I really want to transfer to that major. Somehow I just like it. I just want to explore more about it. I remember I had a whole family meeting with not only my parents, with my all my aunts, uncles, everyone oh, wow. sit together, try to discuss, should I transfer to law major, which they think is fancy, uh, even in China, or a psychology that no one ever heard, not sure what you're going to do with it after you graduate. And then right. I decided, you know, I really want to go to psychology. Unfortunately, some of them support me 
just to explore it. Mm. And I was able to do it and I was really happy. So, but because the education for psychology was not very good in China, I realized if I want to know more, learn more to be good at it, I have to go to another country. And so I pick, I choose. And I, back then, I think psychology in America is really good. A lot of great psychologists across different areas. So I was like, American, that is. I just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have, I've, I've talked to a couple of different psychologists before on the show, and I've also talked to some coaches um, not sports coaches, but, you know, life coaches and, and relationship coaches or that sort of thing. Um, one of whom actually is based in Shanghai. So I know mm. China's a large place, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, um, and, and it's, it's interesting to me because I, you know, I've grown up in America. So to me, things like coaching and, and I mean, when I was a kid, you know, in the eighties coaching wasn't, I don't know that coaching was really that prevalent, but certainly in the last 10 years or 15 years, coaching and mental health and psychology are while certainly stigmatized here in some ways there's a lot of openness around those ideas um but like i talked to an individual recently who's a coach from and he is originally from russia and he lives in canada now and he kind of shared this similar sentiment to you that that those kinds of things weren't really popular in in russia either and not that i want you to speak to, to russian culture at all but why, I guess, why are these things not popular in, in China or in, in those countries? Is it a government thing? Is it a cultural thing? Like, where does where is the breakdown where they don't see the value of it, I guess? Yeah, uh, to me, I focus more on the culture thing because I don't know politically what that do. I think, of course, regulation will play a role. For example, what I can think about the government's role in it is here, insurance covers mental health service. Mm. But in China, it's a very new thing. It just starts realizing it and start, I think, even governors, they need to educate themselves about what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of also we don't have enough providers there. Uh, not enough psychology education there. So it just start getting included in the medical uh, care system. But um, there's a lot of problem. Like they cover so low fee for therapists to therapy work that no therapist can survive on wow. insurance. Uh, so I, I, I only heard a, something about that. I think that's possibly it's more regulation thing. But what I know more when I grew up there and when I talk to other people from China, it's more, I think, culturally, it just because we never had such a service existed. People always think if physically our body gets hurt, we we are bleeding. Of course, we need to do something about it. We need to go to see a doctor. We can heal. But anything invisible happen inside of us mentally right? Emotionally. It's something, if we are tough enough, we can just get through. And that's like all this, our um, older generations, our grandparents, parents, that's how they survived. Mm-hmm. Also, back then, my grandparents and parents' time, I think the economy was not very good. Everyone right. was relatively poor. It's just you never think about spending money on something like that. You are thinking about survival and like just survival well. So I think a lot of culture there is about toughness. Get through things on your own and maybe rely on your family members to support you. 
right, to talk to each other, tough up, and right. then you keep on going. And also the culture, Eastern culture, like Chinese culture, about faith. You want keep faith in front of the public. So, right, that's why we keep a lot of this kind of mental health stuff in the closet that I don't know what it is. I don't want to touch it. I definitely don't want anyone outside the family to know that. Sometimes right. even family members, we don't want to show that. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is heartbreaking because it's the, the, the truth. And again, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert or anything, but my, my, my perceived understanding at least is that pretty much everyone has some struggle with, with anxiety or depression or, and, and the severity of that might be on a spectrum, but everyone has these feelings, right? And everyone struggles with, with uh, these things. So it, it's sad that people aren't able to talk about it because if they could, they would understand that they're not alone, right? Like exactly, exactly. <laughs> is having this. Yeah. A lot of people are so shocked when they are hiding for so long, when they eventually seek help or talk to someone, they realize, oh, I'm not alone. This is common or there are other people suffering from similar things at a different level. I always tell my clients that, you know, having feelings are not wrong. There's nothing wrong about it. You can feel anxious, depressed, sad, angry. Having those feelings because you are facing certain things is totally okay. Sometimes it's really about how we react to it, mm-hmm. how we behave, right? If you are angry, you can hit someone, you can break something, or you can try to find a way to calm yourself down, to step away, to really give yourself some space. Mm-hmm. So it's really about how we react to it that yeah. can lead to a lot of other things and how we interpret it in our mind. If mm-hmm. we think that's awful, we think we are crazy, we think everyone going to think we are crazy, people going to laugh at us, nobody going to understand us. Of course, we don't want to share with other people. Right. We want to try to figure it out by ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've, um, through my, my employer, they have what they call an employee assistance program. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they offer, you can go see a psychologist for like six sessions for free through the insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've taken advantage of that. And I've encouraged several of my friends to take advantage of that. And I mean, all of us to a person were, were blown away by how great the experience was. Um, And it's, you know, it's, it made me think of it when you said that we all want to figure it out on our own, and the, the conclusion that we all drew was that by talking to a psychologist and by talking about some of these things, we were able to 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 progress in understanding it so much faster than we ever would have been able to do. On our, I mean, you know, and we probably don't know, of course, but it, I mean, to the point where it almost feels like what we could accomplish in literally a few hours of talking to a psychologist, maybe I would have never come to those conclusions in a lifetime. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um yeah, I, I would agree with with that. And I definitely hear some people talk about that. Like when they talk to a psychologist, they reach a higher level of self-awareness of themselves. I sometimes think seeing a psychologist is not so much different from seeing a um, trainer in a gym. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> if I want to build muscle, even though I don't have muscle, but if I want to build certain muscle on my arm, 
I cannot just by thinking and imagining and think like what tool should I use, how I should do it, right? It possibly can take me a long time and going nowhere. But right. if I go to their trainer or if I find a great even online class, a legit one, and then I follow it, I ask them about it. They can tell me the theory behind it, how to do it, what frequency, what tools I should use. And then it's much quicker and healthier. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I love that you made that analogy. I was talking to another psychologist on the show back in like February, I think. So it's been several months. But I had, I had made a similar analogy that like, it, it's interesting because when it comes to our physical health, obviously we know that, like you said, if you're injured, you know, you see a doctor or whatever and they help you fix the injury. But beyond that, we also understand that if we just, that it's important to do maintenance on our bodies. And so mm -hmm. people spend all sorts of time and money at the gym or buying a treadmill or whatever for their house so that they can engage in physical activity when there is no problem, they're not doing the treadmill for physical therapy. They're doing it just to be healthier generally. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting how, when it comes to mental health, even in the United States, which is, it sounds like maybe one of the more progressive places for it, there's still this notion that like, well, if you see a psychologist, it's because you have a distinct problem right now. And it's like, I think we need to get away from that where it's not exclusively to solve a problem that's true in the moment, but just for maintenance, right? Just to, to generally feel better, um, there's value in, in that. Yeah, I really like that. I really like the word you're using, the maintenance, right? Yeah. I think human body is a very complicated machine. Our yeah. brain, our emotions are all part of it. So um, it's really, I think the disease model is the foundation of what, what we call clinical psychology. I am a clinical psychologist. So we yeah. always think about, oh, what is clinical psychology? That means therapist, you are treating a disease, you're treating a disorder, disorder mental disorder equal disease. Mm -hmm. So of course, if you have a mental disorder, you are uh, not normal, you are abnormal, you are crazy. Right. Um, but really nowadays you can see over the past, I would say at least 10 years in psychology field, there are a huge promotion of something called positive psychology and many other type of psychology and it's evidence-based also it's based on a lot of research and they are also developed interventions but those are targeting in uh, like prevention not just intervention and it's like i would say even psychotherapy or anything positive psychology related it can help people to live life better to find more meaning in our life. Mm -hmm. We don't have to feel like super anxious, super depressed. We don't have to feel suicidal in order to see a therapist. Actually, in my own practice, I do see a lot of people, sometimes they just come in, they want to have a better relationship with their partners. It's not like necessarily something goes wrong. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. Right. And sometimes they're just like, I cannot sleep well recently. I'm a little bit anxious. Well, you know, uh, there's a big event's going to come. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not handling it very well. I want to do it better. Things like that. It can all, you can get some help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, so what I've, what I've drawn on from um, both my experience with a psychologist and I also have a life coach that, that I work with regularly. And the, the thing that, that I didn't understand about it until I started doing it regularly is that, 
and I, I say this, I don't mean to downplay the credentials and the value of, of your education and the, the what a psychologist brings to the table or what a coach brings to the table through their training. Those things are, are important. So I don't mean to diminish that. But I think that fundamentally, a big part of the value that you get out of it, even independent of the, the, the specific training that the person has, is that whenever you talk to a counselor or a psychologist like this, what you're getting is you're getting, you know, I don't know if, if it's always an hour, but that's how long my sessions always were. <laughs> um, but let's call it an hour just for sake of, of the, the point. You get an hour where someone else, a paid professional who's trained on how to do it, is going to talk to you exclusively about you. And I think that that's uncomfortable maybe for people to hear because it sounds really self-centered, but it it really is. I mean, in a conversation between two friends, like maybe you have a friend that cares a lot about you and maybe they could help. But in a conversation between two friends, there's a give and take in the conversation where I'm going to share my thoughts. I mean, even between you and I who have just met, right? But there's, I'm going to share my thoughts and then you're going to share your thoughts and we're going to do a little give and take. And when you're in a therapy session, I don't give anything back to the therapist. The therapist never talks about their own view, right? They're just constantly trying to ask better questions and help me understand my own view. Um, and the value of that is just tremendous because I don't know of any other point in time where I can just talk about whatever inane thoughts I want and someone is 100% ready to, to dive into that with me. Does that make sense? Right, totally, totally. I actually have clients told me before that, wow, they feel like you know me better than I know myself, <laughs> right? And what you said makes so much sense that I never thought about that direction. I never think about myself that way. But like you summarize it, now it's so clear to myself. So I feel like, yes, for a therapist uh, or a coach, I, or, I value all kinds of like mental health workers, mm -hmm. even though I think we all have different type of training, but yeah. we all do great work too. I know a lot of people benefit from coaches also. Uh, so I think it's just, I, I tell my clients, I, they, they talk all these superficial points, possibly mm -hmm. a lot, a lot. Does not make sense to them. I help them to connect the dots sometime yes. to find a pattern and present the pattern, make it clear to them and see whether that makes sense. Right. And and I, I always see myself as a king. I say, if you temporarily cannot walk well, you can use me and yeah. I support you, but I don't walk for you. Yes. I support you to walk better during tough time. And as you heal, eventually I hope you can throw me away. So you right. can graduate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I was talking to another friend and I think this is another misconception about psychologists is that another friend of mine had said that whenever he's tried to go before, and I think he was more in like a couples therapy situation. So it wasn't one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but anyway, he, he wanted the doctor to give him the answer, right? Like he wanted them mm -hmm. to tell him, whatever truth was evading him or, or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I tried to help him understand is that the reason that the psychologist doesn't do that again, from my perspective, I'm, and I'm curious to see if, what your thoughts are, but um, is because it actually doesn't matter what the psychologist thinks. It matters what you think, which is why you're there in the first place. So if they just told you what to think, that wouldn't really help, which is why instead they, again, in my experience, the psychologist is constantly asking questions to help me 
get to the conclusion, even if it's clear to you, the psychologist, again, like it matters what I think, not what you think. So you're trying to help me understand what I think. And maybe there's some help in framing that, but ultimately it's the difference between like an athletic trainer. Like if I don't know how to play basketball and I want to go learn to play basketball, I go to that, that trainer and he's going to say, okay, step one, here's how you dribble or whatever. Right. But with psychology, it's not, it's not that cut and dry because it's not just a, a one size fits all. This is how you dribble a basketball. This is how you think about all your problems. It's unique to each, each person. Does that, does that sound accurate or? Yeah, I would say definitely we tailor uh, different treatment methods, intervention methods to individual need. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you mentioned, I think makes sense is I see this as, you know, everyone, if like you're drinking water, if we are drinking water, whether it's cold, it's warm, it's hot, only ourselves knows. Right. A person watch you, no matter how professional, <laughs> they would not know how you feel inside, right? Mm-hmm. But they can help you to pay more attention to mm, what this water feels like. A lot of time, people may not even realize what I'm doing and how things feel. Feeling, I just like autopilot, go, go, go. So I feel like the psychologists can really help people bring up the power inside of themselves. I always mm-hmm. say I'm trying to empowering people to yes. grow the inside part of themselves and uh, eventually, because I trust everyone's intelligence, I trust everyone's basic judgment. They know their situation. They are sharing part of that with me. Uh, I just, my job is just help them see things more clearly and use their own judgment uh, with some assistance as needed to figure out what, how they want to approach the situation. What are some options? What they are capable of doing? Only this way, I feel like people go ahead, do things, try things, and then they will feel like, ah, actually it's not as bad as I thought. Or actually I am able to manage this, this, that. So they feel good about themselves. They keep on building this confidence and that's eventually how they can manage more and more things in life. Right. Uh, and I don't think actually anyone are able to give us clear answers of our confusions yeah. in life, right? Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I agree. That that makes perfect sense. Um, I just I, I'm again, you know, as I said earlier, but I'm just so excited to have you here because I just I, I think mental health and, and, and you might disagree with this being a mental health professional, but I, I mean, I feel like we almost know um, so little about it really. Like it's, and maybe 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 the professionals have a, a more clear understanding, but at least culturally, our understanding of mental health is so, so low. And I just, I, I love having people to come on and talk about it and just promote it as an idea and try and eliminate these stigmas that people have where, like you said earlier, if you if you see a psychologist, it must mean you're crazy. Like, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, it might just mean that you're trying to just be healthier, right? Um, yeah, it means you actually value yourself, which right. is a great thing. When I, for, I remember first year when I was in psychology major, there was a story people are sharing that, you know, in China, uh, it's they make it more culture. Like in China, if someone say, "Oh, like if you can, you date someone before the first or second date," this guy tell you, "Oh, I, um, 
I gonna see a psychologist or I just went to a psychologist before I came to our date. What do you think about this person, right? A Chinese girl may think, "Oh my gosh, this guy is crazy. I don't want to date him anymore." Then,、right. and then they say, like in America or in some cultures, people are more open to it. They may feel like, "Wow, first this person possibly financially doing well, can afford a psychologist. Secondly,、yeah. this person really prioritizes his health and mental health." May worth exploring more to see why he see a psychologist and what's going on, and then turns out if he just feel anxious about going to see this girl, he needs some strategies to cope with it, right? right? Or to talk about it, which is a good sign. Means he really values this date. He even go to see a psychologist to talk about it to prepare for a date. So、right. it's, I still remember that story, and I I always think like you know. One same thing, you can just think about it so differently, right? Isn't yeah, isn't isn't that the truth of all life, right? Perce- yeah, perception dictates reality. Right, that sometimes psychology, psychological services can be expensive, but but especially in in America, where pretty much everyone has access to a smartphone.、Um, I mean, we've got an incredible amount of resources. I mean, your website alone has documentation, blogs, so you can read information. You have a podcast、uh, where you're talking about different topics. I listened to to one of the more recent ones you did that was about about sleep, which I want to talk to you about here in just a moment.、Um, but There are a lot of resources that people can can access for free,、um, and and certainly I think that being in a room with a psychologist and having that one on one interaction is probably the most valuable version of that.、Um, if that's something that's not attainable right now, there are still other methods that people can access this information.、Um, and I really encourage anyone, you know, if you do work somewhere where you have health insurance, please go and ask and see if you have the employee assistance program. My company is very good about promoting that. But some might not be, and you might be able to go see a doctor and talk to him without paying anything, right? So,、um, anyway, don't mean to, to go off on that tangent. But, but that's very important. I really like、yeah. you mentioned that. I always want to encourage people definitely to seek help. Don't give up hope.、Yes. Uh, the employee EAP program, right? Yeah. If you mentioned,、uh, my clinic also work with a lot of local companies and see their employees using that program, which is really awesome. That. Push someone or encourage someone who are not willing to spend money on this kind of service because it's free. They want to try. When they try, they really benefit. It's so、right. interesting nowadays. People are okay to. It's not about not having money for some some people. They are willing to spend on iPhone, iWatch, or whatever iPad, but like they、yeah. are not willing to spend it on their own mental health. 
Um, <laughs> and for someone, if they are really struggling, some EAP program can even cover family members. I know, and yeah. even the insurance, they are really good. Maybe you need to wait a little bit because the list is long. But I know most insurance, if you find someone in network, you possibly, like you said, free or only pay five or $10 per session. Yeah. And even for out of network providers, insurance still cover quite a lot most of the time. So it's yeah. definitely worth trying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so, so you specifically, you specialize um, mostly in anxiety and insomnia. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think that I have insomnia, uh, but I've waited until we've gotten to be a little friendly here before I bring this up because I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to be judged. No, I'm kidding, but um, I don't think I have insomnia, but I, so I, I have a Fitbit, right? That the, the, the mm -hmm. watch thing that, that tracks my sleep and my heart rate and all of that. Well, I've had it for about a year and a half. And the other day I was looking and I saw that I could pull a report that would show me my data for a whole year. And so I was like, oh, well, that's interesting to see what a year's worth of data looks like. Um, and in the year, my average sleep was five hours and 50 minutes per night. Um, the highest night I ever got was nine and a half hours one time. And one time it was one hour and a half, <laughs> which I don't, I don't remember that day, but that had to be a bad day. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but anyway, so, um, be gentle with me, but I mean, <laughs> What, what someone who's sleeping less than six hours a day on average, again, over the course of a year, what, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. To yeah. be gentle with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can be as harsh as you want, honestly. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I know a lot of people, once they see those kind of data, they will like, whoa, am I going to have a big problem? Is that sleep deprivation? I'm not sleeping enough, right? So I will say that's only one data, the sleep length. It's mm. far not enough to make okay. any judgment. Uh, I always tell people, I share this research with people that, you know, um, sleep, uh, American Sleep Foundation did this whole research with a lot of uh, American adults and a lot of sleep experts involved. So they find actually everyone's sleep hours really varies. Mm -hmm. And it's quite individual, just like we need tailored treatment to individual. Uh, for mental health, sleep is the same. Huh. Everyone genetically definitely needs different hours of sleep uh, because most people, I would say possibly around 50% at least, people would benefit from seven to eight hours per night. That's what we often hear, the recommendation from doctors, even some yeah. sleep doctors I interviewed on my podcast uh, sometimes would mention that. But we all try to acknowledge, but, right, but some people naturally, they may, their body may just need five or six hours of sleep. Mm. And some other people may need eight or nine hours of sleep. So it really depends on for ourselves how much sleep our body needs. We need to find that pattern for ourselves. Actually, if we only can generate five or six hours, but we are aiming for eight hours per night, that causes a lot of insomnia. That's what I see in my practice a lot of time. People came in and say, my goal for treatment is to reach eight hours per night. You can help me, right? I was like, okay, so when was the last time you had eight hours per night sleep consistently, day after day? They're like, Never. 
Never ever. <laughs> so I'm not magical, right? I cannot <laughs> make that happen. Right. Right. Now yeah. that's fair. Um, yeah. Well, I, so for me, you know, and I don't mean to turn this into a one-on-one -on -one session or something, but but just to you know, for me with sleep, and this has been true since I was a little bitty kid. Uh, you know, I was listening to your your podcast, and you were talking about like is it called the circadian mm -hmm. cycle? Yeah. Um, like the day and night cycle and how you, how you, your sleep aligns with that. Right. And, and you were talking about how like, there's some people who are morning people and some people who are night people who are maybe more energetic in the, in the evening or the afternoon. And yeah, and that's just a, a fact for some people. So I am actually, uh, and it's probably not true, but I, I like to at least think of myself as, as kind of both because I like to stay up really late, but then I also like to get up early like, I just don't really like the idea of sleep. I find it kind of boring. Um, <laughs> like, I like it because I don't like to feel tired. So certainly I do it. Um, but yeah, I, I, if I can, if I can stay up, then I, it's, I guess it's a fear of missing out ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I don't need some exciting life. So I don't know what I think I'm going to miss out on uh, the next YouTube video that I won't remember tomorrow. But, um, but yeah, like, so I find myself struggling to go to bed early, but then I also, if I do go to bed late, I don't want to sleep till 10 a.m. Like I still want to be up early, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which then leads to, you know, five or six hours or one time, 90 minutes of sleep in a night. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this is typical. Quite a lot of people oh. have some kind of a level of anxiousness, not necessarily clinical anxiety, I would say, but this, this push to ourselves thinking, well, I need to, uh, somehow be more productive, work more or see more things, do more things. And I want to get up early so I have a full day or else I feel like I'm like, you know, 10 or 11 a.m. Half day is done. My day is gone, right? right. That's really, I think that's how we perceive things. That's mm. psychological more than biological. Mm. So... um I'm curious, actually, whether what kind of your circadian rhythm actually is, um, because right. if you can get up early without alarm clock most of the time, then you're possibly like more on the earlier end because mm -hmm. night owls naturally, it's really, really hard for them to get up early. It's a struggle mm. and they definitely need alarm clock. And they're like night owls and not feel like hungry very early morning, right? Um, but like I'm, I'm wondering for you, if you allow yourself to just go with the flow, just chill, just like, you know, feel satisfied with this present moment. And then when I really allow your body to feel tired, you may yeah. be able to detect the signals of your body. But a lot mm. of time when we want, we think things ideally should go a certain way we hope we can push it a little bit further then we don't get a body signal anymore right right no that makes sense yeah i i would probably i mean based on what you've described probably i am actually a legitimate morning person i mean i remember when i was in school i always wanted my hardest like you know math or whatever the, the, the most challenging classes i always wanted first thing in the morning because that's mm. when i was the most alert and able to to do it without any problem Whereas in the afternoon, I might be sleepy, you know, um, but I always thought that was just because I didn't get enough sleep, not because <laughs> of my <laughs> circadian rhythm or whatever there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I no, uh, just want to add one thing that yeah, if you 
if you are night owl, even you can push yourself get up early. It's actually pretty hard for the brain to function very sharply in the morning、mm. time. It's just、uh, unless you do quite a lot of work to really shift your whole circadian rhythm, which there's a way. And one of my friends did it, and she was on my show one time. But once she do international travel. Go back to to the old night owl style, and then she has to reshift it.、Um, yeah, so it's really there's a lot of ways to really. It's important to think about what we naturally are, and there's a test to really do that. It's not very commonly done,、um, but it's called Delmo test to see when the melatonin level actually is the highest. In your,、ah. that's the best way to tell your circadian rhythm. Huh? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've taken melatonin、uh, as a kid and then as an adult too to to try and help me go to sleep.、Uh, so that makes a lot of sense that you could measure that to <laughs> to see that. Yeah.、I'm, not to go on and on about the point, but I, I think part of it too, and as an adult, now as a kid, this wasn't true as much. But as an adult, honestly, there's just kind of a tranquility between like we'll say 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. just in the world. Well, in America at least, <laughs>、um, where. There's just not a lot going on, right? Now, I, I live in a small town. I don't live in New York City or San Francisco or something where maybe it's more busy. But here, I mean, most of the businesses are closed, right? And most of the traffic is gone. So it's not like I'm being harassed by paparazzi all the time or something. But it's just, it's just, yeah. There's just kind of a tranquility to it. So I think that's also part of why I like to stay up late and get up early because I want as much of that tranquil time as I can get access to, you know. Yeah, totally.、Um, and actually, this year, COVID, I know there's some research talking about moms.、Mm. Uh, they use that time to really for themselves and work, and that's the only time after child goes to sleep, everything calm down. That's、right. their only time. No matter how naturally they sleep, they don't want to lose that time. Right. Yeah. yeah no, that makes sense.、Um, so do you, do you? And this is maybe a weird question, but I mean, do you find that you're you're helping people? I guess do you, do you find that anxiety or insomnia is a more common ailment that people are afflicted with, or does it not make sense to compare them that way?、Mm, if if we talk about what I see most on、um, yeah. in my practice, I would say anxiety possibly is the top one, and then depression is the second.、Mm. Uh, insomnia or Or any kind of sleep dis- dis- disturbance may not meet the criteria for insomnia yet, but some, you know, sleep、uh, not going well, sleep dysfunctional. That I think is actually a smaller portion. I think people with sleep problems are there's a lot of that out there. It just not many of them know they can seek help. And especially they don't know they can seek help from a psychologist. A lot, right. yeah, right. Sleep. We think about medication. We think about doctors. Yeah, Ambien or whatever. Sleep yeah. Oh,、take. bad, bad side effects.、Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never taken any of those, and I've always been very weary of them.、Uh, again, I don't have any personal experience, but just I've, I've not heard good things about. I heard、Ambien. very interesting stories in Stanford Sleep Clinic where I got trained.、Um, they always joke about there were people like you know they, they took Ambien, and then at night they're gonna sleepwalk. And sleep eat, 
there were like a cake in the fridge. They decided to eat the next day, but on Ambien, they got up in the middle of the night and eat the cake and go back to sleep. <laughs> the next day, they accused the whole household, who eat my cake? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Man, talk about struggling with a diet if you're going and having cake when you're not not even awake for it. You don't even you don't even get to enjoy the guilty pleasure of the cake because you were asleep. Like how horrible. Right. It's <laughs> but you still get the side effect of the calories or whatever. Um, right. <laughs> Obviously, we've talked a bit about maybe what sleep problems look like and, and the, the ways that, that sleep is unique to each individual. But outside of maybe the, the obvious side effects of, of feeling tired or something, like what are some of the more long-term ramifications of not getting adequate rest? Yeah, actually, I want first to make sure people can distinguish between inadequate rest. There are two types of inadequate rest. Okay. One is... Um, really like sleep deprivation. So we are not like allow ourselves to sleep enough when we are, for example, when you really, if you really like nighttime, even though you feel really sleepy, your body want to sleep, but for whatever reason, nighttime, I don't want sleep. I stop myself from doing it. Uh, I have to work or have to have fun. And then I, because of this purposely, I reduce my sleep time. That is sleep deprivation or sleep loss. That is definitely more harmful. That's what, you know, we always hear as per se, if you don't get enough sleep, oh, like you're going to have all these health consequences, high blood pressure, diabetes possibility, heart disease, uh, basically any health consequences you can think about possibly have something to do with lack of sleep. And uh, uh, I think Dr. Matthew Worker's book, Why We Sleep, talk a lot of like sleep facts and based on a lot of them are based on lack of sleep, which is sleep deprivation. Uh, he, he mentioned that can possibly have something to do with future dementia. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of people start getting really worried. But sleep deprivation is really different than insomnia. Okay. So if you have insomnia, you don't necessarily have all these negative consequences. At least there are no research really mm. link that yet. It's just a lot of research combined these two to make it really confusing. So insomnia is different. Insomnia is you want to sleep. You give yourself opportunity to sleep. You allow yourself to lay down and try to sleep, but you just cannot, mm. right? Our body temporarily just are not able to generate this thing called sleep. So we got frustrated. We think we are losing sleep. 
it's different because a lot of time insomnia, this kind of uh, hard to sleep, it's more, I would say, more subjective. It's in our head. It's perception. Mm. So in reality, our sleep a lot of time is much better than what people report when they are having insomnia. Okay. Mm-hmm. People could say I did not sleep the whole night because I have insomnia, so I definitely lose a lot of sleep. I'm, I think I'm dying. Right. I, I, I think this is bad. Um, but if you really monitor their sleep, use machines, and you may find that they actually their body generated quite like five to six hours at least of sleep mm-hmm. that night. It just we cannot really tell when we are so anxious. And when we have like light stage of sleep, we thought we were awake. I see. So, so to some extent, sometimes the insomnia is, is more driven by, um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to use the wrong word, but like a distorted perception of something versus a biological function that they just can't get sleep. Is that? Yeah. So for insomnia, uh, uh, there's a, like, uh, a very good theory model to say there are definitely some biological part for insomnia, like genetic, like gender, like female gender is more likely to develop insomnia or if we have family history, those kind of things. Hmm. Uh, or if, if if we are more anxious, it's some, something to do with more likelihood. Um, and there are also triggers like life events, those things we cannot control, things suddenly happen, we lose job right we got sick then of course trigger insomnia but what why we can treat insomnia is what you mentioned this misperception of our sleep misunderstanding about different sleep stage how much we should sleep this expectation like this rules when how much how we should sleep try to control our sleep and have a lot of poor sleep habit around sleep yeah. i would say right? Eat right before or watch scary, like horror movie up to the point of bedtime. And then of course you got triggered. So there are a lot of those things, behavior, cognitive factors impacting insomnia. That's why we can treat it. I gotcha. That makes sense. So, uh, you know, a long time ago, several years ago, at least I was, I was clearly not with a professional, just on the internet, trying to research best sleep practices. And I I kept coming into these things where people would suggest that you sleep in like three hour intervals or 90 minute intervals. So the idea is like, if you could get three hours of sleep or you could get five hours of sleep, you should just get the three because of some idea about like the sleep cycles will play out in the three hours and if you go to five, then you're interrupting that cycle in the next three hours period, right? Because five is only two hours, not the full three. And to me, that all kind of seemed uh, un, unrealistic or unreliable. But is there any truth to any of that? Is, is there such a thing as like a, it sounds like no, based on what you said earlier, because everyone's an individual. But is, is there any like, oh, you should try and get sleep in these kinds of chunks? Or is that all nonsense? Yeah, that's a very good question. I I think I read something about that before for some nurse use that way to sleep. I think in China they call it cat sleep, like that kind of style. I actually haven't came across any research that I'm aware of to explain this is legit. Uh, Maybe work for someone, but from sleep science point of view, 
I'm really curious how that could work because that sounds like you are having fragmented sleep, and our sleep stage they they take turns, right? Normally, you go into deep sleep first and roll in and out, roll in and out several rounds. That can take about two to three hours, and then you go to REM sleep. If you just interrupt it right there, your REM got surprised. You, it's just like you only have three hours, then. You may not get a full each stage. Somehow, it's definitely different that way. So it's I don't know how people can use that appropriately to help them rest well. Yeah, that's a very graceful way of saying that. That sounds like bullshit. So thank you.、Um, <laughs> I kind of thought it was, but I just I wanted to ask because it's something that I think a lot of people have these kind of bizarre ideas. Again, myself included. So I'm not trying to shame anybody, but. Bizarre ideas about what sleep cycles look like and what it means, and and like like REM. That was something else I was going to ask you about. I mean, everyone has some idea of what REM sleep is, and that's when you dream. But yeah, but people, some people are, are I've heard, you know, will say that oh, well, REM sleep is really where you you're you're actually resting, or、um, if you don't get all of the REM sleep, then you're not really rested, and 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 that's where the three hour thing comes from. Is it's like it was this idea that. You will complete REM the REM sleep in three hours, and so that's why if, if you could go to six, then that would be good. But if you could only go to four or five, it wouldn't be. So, can you maybe talk about? I mean, you briefly mentioned there, but what are the different sleep stages, and how do people go through them, and what is the importance of them? Right. So we have quite several sleep stages. Not try to make it too scientific. Yeah. Just for everyone, try to understand. So when we first fall asleep, we go into stage one, two, which is light、uh, stage of sleep. Very quickly, actually, we go into deep sleep.、Mm. Deep sleep. A lot of people talk about. Oh, I really want deep sleep. It's like,、um, it's it's good rest. I would say it's just one stage、okay. of our sleep.、Uh, it definitely have its own function, but we are still like doing more research, try to find out. We still know only limited things about sleep. So you go into deep sleep. You go、uh, stay there a little bit. Go back to light stage of sleep and go back in. So in and out, in and out, maybe several rounds, and then that's the first half of your night. And then the second half of night, after all that, you start REM sleep, like dream more. So、uh, it's the second night of half mostly are dream, and then stage one two dream, stage one two. So.、Um, Occasionally, some people will have small episodes of deep sleep still there, but mostly REM,、okay. which is dream.、Um, so that's why a lot of people can remember their dream because before, right before we are waking up, we are going through REM.、Ah. Right, it's easier to remember. It means nothing if you remember your dream. Does not mean you are not sleeping well. It's just natural. It just some people remember, some people don't. And funny thing is, some people's dream has colors, some people don't. Right, like my dream is colorful, but I realize some of my friends' dream are black and white,、huh. no color. That's interesting.、Mm-hmm. I've not heard that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I don't know why. I I don't I don't know. I'm not aware of any research about that, but I find it's very interesting. So everyone's so different, and I think it's every stage has its own thing.、Um, for light stage of sleep. A lot of time, it's it's a way of resting. It's still sleep. So there's certain things I I know like the、uh, EEG wave all look different for each stage. And even you are in light stage of sleep, you are still sleeping. You are still resting. 
which is good thing. Um, but a lot of people think they are awake because you still have five senses, basically. Right. You can still like your bed partner if they roll around, they make a noise. You sometimes can wake up. You can still, or you can hear it. Right,、yeah. you can smell things.、Um, that mean not means you are awake totally. You possibly are still in the light stage of sleep.、Mm. It's very hard to to tell apart.、Um, and for deep sleep, it's the stage. It's really hard to wake someone up.、Mm. And our、uh, brain, a lot of cognitive stuff like in- information are consolidating. A lot of things are happening during deep sleep can help us. Really rest the brain, so、uh, in the daytime we can restart the day and make sense of whatever happened.、Uh, so for memories, but for REM sleep, it's good. It's important for emotional memory、mm. to consolidate part of the information got consolidated in during the dream period. It's re-、uh, emotion related. That's why a lot of people with PTSD or nightmare. Right, it it's like white nightmare. That's because RAM stage is trying to use its own way to understand what happened, like、wow. emotionally during the daytime, in a way of dreaming nightmare, good dream and bad dream,、uh, oh. to to understand to help us so we can avoid danger, similar danger in the future, or we can. Try to better process the emotions in in that way. So it's very fascinating. There's a lot of things that are happening when we're dreaming or sleeping in general. Huh? Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So really, this this concept of thinking of the the sleep stages as like、uh, one being more valuable than the other, any of that, like that doesn't really make sense. Really, it's more like it's all different parts of the same machine, we'll say, and they all serve their own role. But you know, just like I don't in a car. The steering wheel isn't more important than the gas pedal. They just serve different functions, and they still ultimately are all needed in order for the car to work. Kind of thing. That makes、mm-hmm. sense. That might be a bad analogy.、Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like it, actually. Yeah, our our body, our brain is a car, right? It needs all the parts to work together to to be able to run well.、Right. And uh, um. And it's interesting. I sometimes see people pursue one part over the other part. Want want more deep sleep, less dreaming. Think dream. I'd have too much dream. It's bad.、Right. Not necessarily. It's it's just、uh, overall each stage has its own percentage. It's all happened. It's all happened during the sleep. It's just different percentage, different portion. And if you purposely suppress part of The the stage only have more of the certain stage. Things could happen. It's not good.、Right. Like if we are on drugs, if we are using marijuana or like、uh, um, really other type of like drugs. What I saw mostly from uh you know uh was that I I worked in a drug abuse treatment center before as a as a trainee. So what I saw people when they try to get detox. They have huge RAM rebound. Yes, that means they when they were on drugs, they did not have enough RAM sleep, and so the body does not like it. They really need it. So when they finally are under the treatment to get rid of the drug from their system, they start having vivid, awful dreams all night long. Yeah. That's really awful experience, but it's necessary for the body. So body knows we need them all. If we don't get enough, later you may have a rebound. Right. 
So yeah, people out there trying to mess with their sleep cycles, like you don't know what you're doing. Just just go to sleep and enjoy it, and it's fine. Um. <laughs> yeah, let it, let it happen naturally. Of course, if you worry about certain disorders, sleep disorders, like you don't think you are sleeping well, find a professional. Try to figure out what the problem is exactly and what you can do about it. Right. And so then, and then to tie back to kind of summarize what you were talking about with insomnia versus sleep deprivation, it, it almost sounds like if you're doing sleep deprivation, you're, you're kind of consciously not allowing yourself to sleep when your body is sending the signals and you're even recognizing them that you are tired. Whereas with insomnia, and that can lead to more long-term ramifications, but with insomnia, it, it's almost like your body's not getting those signals. And like, like you said, sometimes these people are sleeping anyway and they just don't realize it. Um, right. And also some, for some people with insomnia too severe, they may have both insomnia and sleep deprivation uh, that they are not generating enough to a point, right? That's definitely possible. But I would say a lot of time for people with insomnia, the worry about, oh, what's going to happen if I cannot sleep or the worry, like some people start worrying from the morning, they open up their eyes, they start worrying about tonight's sleep. What, what's going to happen? That's the most dream case I ever heard, wow. right? So you worry about sleep the whole day. You worry about you cannot fall asleep. That really gets in the way of having sleep. Right. So the more you want to control sleep, the less likely sleep going to happen. Is, it just does not work that way. Did you, just, did you just accidentally explain a truth of all of life? You know, <laughs> the more you try and control something, the harder of the time you're going to have trying to, to actually control it, you know? Um that's why I love sleep. You can see everything from sleep. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's good. That's really good. Um, so, so with anxiety, um, and I know, I know we've been talking for a while, so I don't mean to keep you forever, but um, just maybe quickly, what, if someone is feeling anxious, and again, I understand that you don't know them or know their situation. So just very broadly, mm -hmm. but if someone is suffering from, from a feeling of anxiety, Obviously, they should seek help. But in the moment, is there anything that you would recommend that people do? Is there a practice or a technique that you would have for people to try to help bring themselves out of the moment of, of maybe that, that anxiety kind of climax, if you will? Yeah. Uh, just want to explain a little bit more about anxiety, not meant to be too no, long. Please, but as much as you uh, want. Yeah, so overall, I want people to understand anxiety is a two-process thing. That's how we explain sleep sometimes, too, is um, sympathetic system, nerve system, and parasympathetic nerve system. You need to work on both nerve system to help uh, with anxiety or anxiety about sleep or anything. So sympathetic system is when we are anxious, we tend to explain signals as threat very easily, even though they are not real threats. Mm -hmm. So we are constantly in this fight or flight state and anything can trigger us and we get really exhausted, right? We cannot distinguish what is helpful worry, what is unhelpful worry, what's real, what is not real. Yeah. So that we need really help ourselves so strategy-wise, it's one easy thing is to ask ourselves, okay, I notice I'm having this thought. This thought is what, what, what? So that can help us distinguish a little bit. Oh, this is a thought, not necessarily a fact. That itself can be helpful already. Right. A lot of people tell me when they are realizing or slow down like that, they're like, oh, you know, maybe this, maybe this is just a worry or... I don't know for sure, but at least, you know, this is a thought. Yeah. 
um yeah so like oh like um i i cannot think about a good example i'm i'm really worried about this gonna happen right right if we say i notice i'm having a thought that this may happen versus this may happen right right that feel very different yeah uh-huh so, so that's from sympathetic nervous system okay okay um and I didn't mean to interrupt you if there was if there was more to that. I don't I don't have another point to insert if you had. <laughs> yeah. So then I just explained the other systems because they are two different systems. So the parasympathetic system is the opposite. It's to help our body to relax. If our body can relax, our nervous system can relax. Right. It's a very positive loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that system is a lot of time we see meditation relaxation, breathing. So I why I mentioned these two systems is to help people realize, you know, breathing, meditation, it is helpful, but it's not the only way. That's why a lot of people tell me, well, I tried a lot of exercise, like relaxation is not helpful because you're only doing part of the work. Right. You have to work on the other part also. Uh, but relaxation itself has its own value. Definitely. Right. You can you can learn how to be the present moment, how to relax your body, to send signal to your brain, to help your brain calm down. So it has its own value, but just not a full picture. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because that was actually a thing I was going to ask about after you were done explaining, um, but you answered it right there. But, but so I read a book last year uh, called Feeling Good. Um, that's mm. like a cognitive. I actually gonna, I actually gonna interview Dr. Burns tomorrow. What? Really? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He has a new book coming out. Oh. Feeling great. Oh so, man, that guy. Yeah. Is, that book is incredible. I mean, that book. He's great. That book. It 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 changed. Um, it changed a lot of things for me. Uh, it it it. Yeah, it's incredible. It and it's funny because it, you know, it's about cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of a, a long string of fancy sounding words. Um, but, and I'm, I am definitely oversimplifying it here, but man, it's really just kind of a book about learning to have empathy, not just for other people, but for yourself and like how to, how to understand where you're at and be okay with it. Well, anyway, I was, he also has a podcast, um, that I was listening to and, and he was talking one time about how meditation is not a treatment method for these things and that that people that say that oh you just need to meditate like that that's not valid but i think what you said is actually maybe the complete answer of that which is that that's true if that's all you're doing because meditation again there are many uses for it so i don't mean to to overstep my bounds with how people use it or, or say there's only one way but at least one way that meditation is used is that it's almost more like a training technique to help yourself when you're overwhelmed by thoughts to be able to, to step back and go, okay, let's create a little separation and understand that these are all just thoughts and observe them. And then as the, as the observer pick, what do I, what now, what do I think about those thoughts, which might sound confusing, but so, but I think that's what you were, what you were getting at as well. It's like meditation can be helpful because it can help you calm, help you relax, help you create that space. But in the end, you still have to do the work of addressing those thoughts and, and maybe changing how you think or, or shifting your thinking on something. Um, the meditation technique Definitely. alone is not the solution, right? 
Right, right. It, it just depends on how you use it. If you use meditation as a medication, right. that if I use it, I could come down, I could be better. This is like a like a goal. If I take a sleeping pill, I can sleep. Uh, and if if you, it does not work one day, you get panicked. You're thinking, oh, no, this used to work for me. Now what? What else can I do? That's still a sense of control. Yeah. You are trying to control your level of anxiety. It just won't happen. So um, CBT, like cognitive behavioral therapy, is something I use in my clinical work a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you very beginning, you mentioned, well, give people homework to do or exercise to do. CBT actually do have some exercise yeah. to practice, but it's not something tell you what you like, how you should do certain things. Like I give you an answer, but it's tools to help you understand yourself better. Right. Yeah. And then that's very valuable too. CBT is very, uh, I would say most possibly one of the most evidence-based treatment for anxiety, yeah. especially. And my way of treating insomnia, also called CBT, but it's CBT for insomnia. Oh, okay. That's why I also use the C, cognitive part, to change how you think, and the B, behavior part, to change your sleep behavior, mm-hmm. to, make you, to make you form good, healthy sleep habit. And then together, you will sleep better. And of course, anxiety the same way, you will feel better. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that makes that makes a ton of sense. I, I have to admit, I'm just a little giddy that you're having Dr. Burns. That's so that's so wild. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm yeah. celebrity adjacent now or something. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. He He's from Stanford and he's in this area. I, I live it. I He also have a hiking group, but it's COVID. I was trying to join his <laughs> hiking group, but then I couldn't. It's COVID. <laughs> Welcome to 2020, right? Um <laughs> Awesome. Well, well, Yishan, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. Um, and I, this has been a, a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom on these topics. Um, was there anything else, though? I'm not pressed for time at all, but was there anything else you wanted to, to talk about or discuss while we're here this evening? Well, thank you for having me, Walker. This is also a very good um, conversation. I really enjoyed it. So if there's no like really major things I want to share. I just want at the end, maybe encourage, just like what you mentioned earlier, encourage all our listeners to to be aware there are uh, good resources out there for both sleep disturbance and any like uh, emotional challenges. So good resources, seek out help, and don't forget yourself inside. Each of us have power and the hope come from there. We are able to do a lot to help ourselves, help people around us. Oh man, that's so beautiful. Yes. And the website is mindbodygarden.com. So if you guys are, are interested in checking out uh, any of, of Yishan's work, you can you can see it there. Um, the podcast is there. I know I will definitely be there to listen to the Dr. Burns episode. So, uh, <laughs> so you yeah. can count me in. But uh, again, Yishan, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Sugar in my coffee is not a choice that I can take back. The anticipation of seeing you is bursting out my back. My hands trembling like a 
leave My feet are shaking on the ground And happiness you must give me Because I'm tired and mad I don't want you to take my decision to rise or to break. I don't want to roll over. I don't want to roll over for you anymore. I don't want to roll over.
right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you again so much to Dr. Zhu for joining the show. Again, you can find her at mindbodygarden.com. We'll have links in all the show notes. Of course, thank you again to Misha for the music. And of course, thank you, listener, for listening to the show today. I'd also like to encourage you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a podcast about video games. It's co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. And we try and talk about why gaming matters. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks anywhere podcasts are found. Again, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Stay up. Stay up.